0: Welcome to Money and Taxes from BB to XYZ. I'm Regina Neenan, certified financial planner.
1: And I'm Jason Spessiner, certified financial planner and enrolled agent.
0: There you go with that enrolled agent again, Jason. And we love it here at Financial Planning Fort Collins. That makes a lot of sense for today's episode because once again, we are focusing on the taxes part of Money and Taxes.
1: And you know what? You should always be planning your taxes just because 2022 tax season just went in the rearview mirror does not mean it's too early to start planning for twenty
0: twenty three. Well yeah easy for you to say because you're literally doing that day in and day out. But why should our listeners be planning their taxes always?
1: A good opportunity that comes out of just having completed your twenty twenty two tax return is of course to learn from what happened. And from my perspective mm-hmm learning what happened in 2022 transcends a lot of different tax returns including all of our clients and my own to get some information about and what will happen in 2023.
0: So you're saying, you know, it's fresh in your mind, we just got out of tax season, so why not do it now? You should be planning. So what advantages are there to doing it at this point?
1: Well, there's a lot of like you mentioned fresh data, fresh information things that are obvious that can be accounted for today and implemented today that can translate into some gains from a tax savings perspective, from a lifetime tax bill and so on, that the sooner you start, the better. And of course, yeah, it's still a third of the way through the year here, but that doesn't mean that there's any reason to wait for implementing a strategy that you've identified just simply by completing your 2022 taxes.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense, especially because we do tax planning again toward the end of the year, but you have such a limited amount of time then to really kind of to make your tax lemonade. And Jason, I know we might blur the generational lines a little bit here as we dive in. What did you notice most for, say, baby boomers in 2022?
1: Good question. I should say we also do tax planning mid-year about this time as well. And so in May, of course, because we've talked about the best time to get going with our tax planning for the year. As far as baby boomers go, there's a couple of things that really stood out to me as I was completing tax returns for that generation. The first one is income planning opportunities that exist. and We've talked about it before as far as the control of your income that you have once you hit retirement age and once you are able to liquidate certain accounts or take dividends and, and interest payments out of certain accounts, take dollars out of IRAs or Roth IRAs, you really get a lot of flexibility and scalability as far as your income goes. And so this plays into a few things. One is if you're pre-Medicare, being able to control your income and keep it lower helps you as far as the health insurance situation goes and your ability to qualify for some tax credits or premium subsidies with an Affordable Care Act policy. Another is looking at ways to either increase a gain or loss for invested assets that you have just simply based on what your other income sources are. So what I mean is you may want to do what's called tax gain harvesting in a low income year, because some of that income may be taxed at zero. In fact, if you're doing tax gain harvesting correctly, your aim there is to have all of that capital gain that you create when you do that taxed at nothing.
0: Yeah. We also talk a lot about filling up the tax brackets. What are some examples that you can think of for baby boomers that they might want to take advantage of while they have a low income year?
1: So just like that capital gain harvesting, if you are single, you can have up to $44,000 of long-term capital gains and you will not pay any tax, any federal income tax on that gain. If you're married, a married couple can have up to eighty-nine dollars or almost $90,000 of long-term capital gain income and so looking at opportunities to potentially move some of that up and have it taxed at nothing, that also then brings the cost basis up, whatever else you end up buying with those dollars from when you sell something. And that helps with the long-term tax bill as well, not only for yourself, but also your beneficiaries, your heirs. Also, Roth conversion opportunities. And this is probably an over overly emphasized tax planning strategy. You hear it a lot. Oh, you should do a Roth conversion. I think there's a lot of value in it. We did a lot of Roth conversion towards the end of 2022. It was circumstantially a really good year for that. But that is something else where in a low income year, especially before Social Security, if you are maybe spending down already taxed assets and your taxable income sources are really low, filling up that 10, 12, maybe even that 22% bracket with Roth IRA conversions. Could be a pretty good idea to lock in a really low tax rate today.
0: And I know we say Roth conversion quite a bit, but for those who maybe haven't done this before or don't know what it is or the mechanics behind it, a Roth conversion is taking dollars from your traditional IRA or rollover IRA, dollars that haven't been taxed yet, paying the tax on those dollars, treating those dollars as regular income for the tax year, and then converting them to Roth. So the benefit of moving those dollars to Roth and paying the taxes on them is that those dollars are now already taxed. So you get the benefit of the tax-free growth in the future, as well as uh, not having to pay taxes on those dollars when you take them out of your Roth IRA.
1: And the other thing to keep in mind, and this is something that we ran into, and it was it was interesting that when you do a Roth IRA conversion, typically you're going to do it towards the end of the year, the last quarter of the year. And if you've looked at what you've paid in, what you expect your tax bill to be, you may find that when you do that Roth conversion, you may not need to make an estimated tax payment or a withholding, and you shouldn't make a withholding from a Roth conversion. You really don't want to reduce the amount that's going into your Roth IRA from your traditional IRA. But it seemed to make a little more sense as I started looking at some of the results and just the impact of, hey, remember this Roth conversion that you did, you have a 12% tax due on this $20,000 of income, and all of a sudden there's potentially a surprise tax bill there. It makes a lot of sense once you've committed to doing the Roth conversion, go ahead and make the estimated tax payment, even if it will cost you some money in return on your savings for an estimated payment you don't have to make. Just go ahead and do it, and that way you'll know that when the tax return is done, you won't have this extra tax that's being included there. And that's just a way to, again, just more of a a mental accounting trick than it is necessarily something that you're forced to do, or would even in some cases be kind of financially prudent to do based on what you could earn on those dollars if you don't pay them
0: in. Yeah. A huge part of getting into tax planning now is, aside from creating strategies and taking advantage of those between now and the end of this tax year, is just getting ready to avoid big surprises at tax time next year. So moving into Gen X, what did you notice in 2022 and what should they be planning in 2023?
1: There was a couple of things here that I'm going to talk about that came up where it could have fit and it really can fit into any of the generations we'll discuss. It's not like these specific things happened only to or will happen only to members of Generation X or Y or Z or even baby boomers. But where these instances or things that I took away from taxis and showed up just happened to be in Generation X in this case. And so the one was losing or abandoning a prior year passive loss. We actually found a, a case where a prior year passive loss was left behind. And what that means is that years ago, somebody had an income-producing asset, like, for example, a rental property or an oil and gas well or something that they're not actively involved in. It's considered passive income. And they had losses that they couldn't utilize when those losses were incurred. So they just go on the tax return as a carry forward. And at some point along the line, those, those losses were abandoned. They just weren't carried forward to another year. Well, it turns out that in this case, the property that those losses were connected to was sold. And lo and behold, going back a couple of years and unabandoning the losses by amending some tax returns, ended up saving close to $20,000 in that case. And so it's just a really good lesson in making sure that carry forwards, things that are supposed to carry from year to year, that you're maintaining those, that you're keeping tabs on those and that they don't get abandoned, they don't get lost, because they could come out to be a huge, huge benefit for you in a future year.
0: Yeah, that's massive. So what happened? They just disappeared from someone's tax return? like a tax preparer missed it and didn't bring it forward. How can somebody really keep track of that as they're looking over what their tax preparer does on a year-to-year basis?
1: That's where it gets tricky is one of these things, and, and I have a suspicion. I don't know exactly what happened in this case, but I have a suspicion that it was just simply that the property was converted and it wasn't used for rental activity anymore. And instead of making it dormant on the return. It was just deleted from the return. And, and I think depending on the software that's being used, everything related to that particular thing just disappears. This is where reviewing a prior year return thoroughly comes into play. And that's where it becomes important to make sure that the prior year return and the stuff that's on there makes sense in as far as carry forward and as far as other parts going onto that current year return. So it's always good to double-check that. Just give it a quick glance before finalizing your current year return.
0: And maintain consistency. It's just another word there for working with the same tax preparer so that they they always know what's going on in your situation, can review what happened last year, and really do this, here we go again, planning as we get ready for the upcoming tax season. Yeah,
1: especially a tax planning-focused A tax preparer will help you make sure that those opportunities remain.
0: So Jason, do you have anything else for Gen X that you noticed in 2022?
1: Remember the high income earning potential of Gen X? Oh yeah. You all are in your highest earning years. And so there are some savings opportunities to be had, not only from a just putting dollars into an account and watching them grow, but also from a tax standpoint. And just making sure that where you can get a tax benefit, and typically when you're in a high earning, when you're in your peak earnings, you want it to be a pre-tax, you want to defer that tax, you don't want to pay it now, making sure that you're taking full advantage of that. And so whether that's workplace retirement plans, and if you're over 50, that the catch-up that you have there where you can This year in 2023, put up to $30,000 into a workplace plan if you're just a W-2 employee, all the way up to if you're self-employed, you're getting close to almost $75,000 of contributions or or additions that you can make to a qualified plan that you sponsor for your your own business as a self-employed person. So um, just taking advantage of those things is, is so important. HSA is another huge, huge vehicle. I'll talk a little bit more about them when we get, uh, to generation Y. But uh, again, another tax deduction for, uh, income that can in the future be tax free and that triple tax advantage of an HSA. Again, huge, huge thing. If you're able to get money into a Roth after all of this, right? If you're able to do a backdoor Roth contribution, um, or, or even just an outright Roth contribution, you've made all your maximum contributions to your other pre-tax stuff. Go ahead and do that too, right? That's still going to be dollars in that tax free pool that you will be able to use in the future to your, uh, to your, your advantage. So making sure you're taking those high income years and stashing those dollars away
0: certainly why it's crucial for folks in gen x to really dig deep and do some financial planning and tax planning together because not all tax preparers do the tax planning side of things as you mentioned earlier Um, and i know you mentioned gen y a little bit there are millennials um why don't you head into hsas and and give us the details there
1: i was just gonna say I'll, i'll jump right into this hsa discussion with uh gen y and this is again um, as long as you're not eligible for Medicare, this will apply to you. Um, and that is stop using your health savings account like your flexible spending account for healthcare. Um, and so what I mean by that is I very commonly see an HSA, which is a savings vehicle, uh, has contributions going in. Let's say the maximum contribution, um, for a family in 2023 is $7,750. So you'll have that contribution going in, but then I'll also see $7,500 of distributions coming out of the HSA. And so only that little difference, that 250 bucks will get that advantage of tax deferral and then potentially tax-free use. That is using your HSA like a flexible spending account for healthcare. And those plans are designed to be dollars in, dollars out within the same plan year. And it's just supposed to be like a pre-tax source of funds for healthcare. Now. With your HSA, with your health savings account, you take full advantage of the maximum contribution. You get a tax deduction for that. That income is not taxed currently. Then you can get those dollars working in your HSA. You're able to invest money in your HSA. It doesn't have to sit in cash. So you can invest it just like your Roth or your traditional IRA or any of your other investment accounts. And that money can grow for years and years and years. In fact, for your entire lifetime. Um, And what you're able to do is you can take expenses that you pay from the moment your HSA is established and funded from that first day and save the receipts from those expenses that you incur. And at any point in the future, 10 months, 10 years, right, couple of decades from now, pull out that receipt and say, this is the expense that I am now reimbursing today from an HSA distribution. And you will have allowed that HSA to grow over that multi, multi multi-decade period. And that's where you get the maximum benefit out of an HSA. So um, again, going back to it, don't use it like an FSA. Keep those dollars in the HSA and keep them growing in the HSA.
0: I know the other kind of major approach to using an HSA is considering, you know, when you're older, as we age, we tend to need more medical care. So we're going to have more medical expenses. So just saving those funds for that. And I know we can get into a little bit of alphabet soup with FSA, HSA, Um, But if you are wondering, you know, which account to use, just Google it. If you see health savings account, don't touch it. It's for savings. If you see flexible spending account, that's something that you could use on an expense for this year because it's use it or lose it.
1: The S is the key. And if you notice a lot of these account types, right, the middle letter sort of tells the story, right? IRA, that's your retirement account, right? HSA, that's your saving account for healthcare. FSA, that is your spending account. And so on.
0: Yeah. Or you can just, you know, call up your financial planner and say, where should I pay for this from? That's what we're here for. Anyway, Jason, getting back to our millennials, what else did you notice in 2022 that they should maybe be on the lookout for in 2023?
1: So this is another one that just kind of came across on a uh, generation uh, Y or a millennial return, but it can apply again to anyone. Um, And that is uh, not claiming depreciation on a rental property. Um, I, I've seen this more than once and the, the bottom line is taking depreciation on rental property isn't an optional thing. Um, a lot of folks, you know, and what, I guess what I hear uh, about why depreciation isn't claimed is that, well, I don't want to have to deal with it when I sell the place. I don't want to have to worry about recapturing it or playing a different tax rate on it or something else, which is true, right? You do have to pay uh, a slightly higher tax rate on a uh, depreciation that you claim on rental property uh, while you're renting it. However, this isn't optional, um, you will have to report the depreciation that was allowed, which is what you claimed, or that was allowable, which is the depreciation you did not claim when you sell that property. So there's no way around doing this. So don't miss, uh, taking that depreciation deduction in the years that you're eligible for it. Now, with that said, there is a way to go back and get all of that depreciation Back and correct that. Uh, but it's not an easy process. And it is not something that I would uh, recommend that anyone undertake unless they know exactly what, what they're doing. But you have to do what's called a change in accounting method. You have to file a very, very long form, Form 3115. Um, and then you can, once you've completed all the requirements of that, you can make an adjustment uh, in the year that you sell that property to kind of account for all that depreciation that you either missed or claimed incorrectly and so on. Uh, but the bottom line is d- don't go down that path. Just make sure you're doing it right by claiming depreciation when you should.
0: Jason, can you rewind just a little bit and tell us about depreciation and why the IRS um, makes this allowed or allowable?
1: Oh yes, depreciation. Right, like what is this thing? This is like some some made up. Like there's just dollars floating out there, and you're getting a tax deduction. Uh, so when you put property into use for uh, a, a business purpose or, or a rental, right? Um, when when it's a what is referred to as a capital asset, something that's physical tangible, like is used in that business, you are allowed to depreciate it. And what that simply means is you take the cost of that asset and you divide it over a, a period of years, what's called its useful life. And each one of those years, you take a, for example, uh residential uh rental property is 27 and a half years. So you take one twenty-seventh and a half of the purchase price of the building that you're that you're renting um as a depreciation expense on your tax return. And so um you just sort of rinse and repeat with that if you make improvements to the property if you do um you know you, you do a new kitchen or you replace the HVAC system or something like that that's again more assets that can be depreciated in that activity um and yeah those are good tax deductions too that's the other thing is don't don't worry about the future stuff think about what you got in the current year uh claim that depreciation and that's that's uh that's going to help you uh, on today's return too
0: yeah lowering that tax bill a little bit is uh Usually, never a bad thing. So, um, Jason, what about our Gen Zers? Maybe some of these folks who have started to, you know, just file their taxes for the first time. What did you see in those returns?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was there was one theme that I noticed um, is is it seemed that, and this was sort of a a refund thing. It was more of a there's a refund coming, and you're eligible to make. Uh, a $6,000 contribution to a Roth IRA, um, or you're eligible to make a contribution to your HSA or or something that you can still contribute for the prior year. You have a large sum coming in. You're not required to wait on that refund and then go fund it or file the return. All you do is you report, I'm going to make this contribution. I'm going to make a $6,000, you know, a uh, contribution to a Roth IRA, and in fact, in that case, you're you're very likely not going to report it, but you're going to want to include it on your worksheet, essentially for for the part next year. So you carry forward your contributions in your Roth IRA. Uh, but even for your HSA, for example, you you say I'm going to make the uh, a two thousand dollar contribution to my HSA to to finish maxing it out for the year. Um, you just put it on the return, file the return. Get the refund and assuming it's still before the, the, the filing deadline, before April 15th, you still have time to put that money into that account. Like you said, you were going to on that tax return. Um, so using that refund, using those dollars coming in to advantage yourself for the future by making those additional kept, uh, contributions for prior year stuff is, is a great use, right? Uh, of that refund.
0: Yeah, it's a great reminder that there is a limit to these each year you can't you can only put in a certain amount so taking full advantage of that is really going to help you in the long run um and it's a you know a note on your emergency and future opportunities fund or what we like to call your EFOF. um maybe you're not getting that refund um on time or you're not guaranteed to get it before the tax deadlines so you're waiting on it pull some cash out of your emergency fund use it to make the contribution and then backfill it when you do get your tax refund.
1: Future opportunity. There's the EFOF, right? There's your future opportunity right there. You only have that finite amount of time, make that contribution. And, and here's something from a cash flow perspective, Regina, I think you'll appreciate, is once you've identified that you're going to get a refund and you kind of understand what your tax situation is starting to look like as you're in the, the working world and you're earning income and you, you know what's going on here start to look at your withholdings. Maybe you're just over withholding and you probably are if you're getting a big refund. Bring those dollars into you sooner. Adjust the withholding so that you're covering your tax obligation. And then you have this excess that you're not going to get back as an interest-free loan to the government in you know, nine to 15 months, but that you'll be able to, to take today and contribute to those long-term vehicles or even those short-term goals if you have those as well.
0: Yeah, and earn your own interest on those dollars in the meantime.
1: That's it. That's it.
0: One thing that uh, that I like to bring into this and that I've taught my partner is that, you know, if you're not giving the money to the government, letting them take that interest free loan, you're earning money on it. So you get to celebrate that on your, your free money days when you earn interest at the bank. That's one of our favorite things. So I uh, just had to sneak that in there. Yes, Jason, was there anything else for 2022 that you noticed that you wanted to bring up before we move on to planning for 2023?
1: Let's talk about 2023. I'm excited to uh, look at some of the opportunities that are starting this year um, and across all generations.
0: Awesome. So I know we've talked a little bit when we started there about why you should start planning now. Um, we're not even halfway through 2023 yet. So what are, what are the changes that people should be looking out for? And uh, if you can tell us kind of what generations they're most likely to apply to as you go through, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, you got it. And, and here's the two biggest pieces of tax legislation, uh, that were passed last year that have impact on 2023, uh, were the Inflation Reduction Act and Secure 2.0 Act. Um, and thinking about Inflation Reduction Act, really that focused a lot on, uh, energy efficiency, energy production, um, and, and electric vehicles, right? So this can apply to a couple of, uh, groups One, for electric vehicles, that, that sort of goes for everyone, right? As you buy a vehicle now, you do not have to think about manufacturers' uh, limitations. For example, um, I think it was uh, Tesla and Chevy for the last couple of years, you have not been able to get a tax credit for purchasing those electric vehicles. Well, that that's no longer true. Assuming the vehicle is uh, assembled or finished assembly in North America um, and you meet some other income and vehicle price requirements, you're going to get a full tax credit for that uh, vehicle purchase. Um, Of course, here in Colorado, there's also a state tax credit as well that has been in existence for a while. So the Inflation Reduction Act changed the not only new vehicle tax credit for electric and plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, uh, but also there's a used vehicle credit that's available now as well. for homeowners, right? And so this may be, uh, uh, well, this could apply to anyone, of course, but this may be more to why, you know, X, Y and, and baby boomers. Um, but you're going to have incentives for energy efficient home improvements that are greatly expanded, uh, in 2023. There, you, there, these, these rules have always been there. These credits have always been there. They've just been pretty puny. Uh, they've been limited to lifetime amounts, like 600 bucks, you know, just some very small, you know, multi-year amounts that you're not really getting a lot of bang for your buck. Well, a lot of those limitations have gone away and now you can claim a tax credit in each year that you're making, you know, insulations, you know, doors, windows, um, you know, all of the things that help your home be more energy efficient.
0: These are such great ways that the government nudges us toward our greener future here. Um, What else have you got for, for 2023 planners, Jason?
1: In- incentivized, uh, uh, right? Ta- tax code incentivizes behavior, doesn't it? Um, energy production is back, right? Or it basically never went away, but is is now at full strength again. At thir- a thirty percent tax credit for all of your energy production stuff. So if you're thinking like solar, uh, geothermal, heat pumps, uh, those sorts of things, if you're making the energy from a renewable source, you are likely getting a tax credit for it, and uh, very likely thirty percent of that project cost. Um, then we shift into, uh, so that was all inflation reduction act stuff. That's all incentivized behavior. Then we came to secure 2.0 act, which changed some of the retirement planning landscape. Um, you know, I think for the better in the long run. Um, but a lot of the stuff in secure 2.0 act does not take effect in 2023, but there are a handful of things that do. Um, so the big one, or I guess the sort of notable one that, that stands out that, that, change sort of on a dime uh, is if you turn 72 this year, so baby boomers applies to you, um, you do not have a required minimum distribution from your uh, IRA or other pre-tax retirement accounts before secure 2.0 act you were going to have a required minimum distribution from those accounts this year so you got to delay that by one year um, and and everyone else who's younger than that you get to wait until you're 73 um, and then in 10 years everyone's gonna get to wait till they're 75 um, so that changed uh, for the sort of longevity of those assets and, and the planning there
0: that's great more time to let your money grow more years of compound interest we love this
1: yes and then here's one that I, uh I don't know. I've I've always had a thing about 529 plans and we could probably do a whole episode on what I think about 529 plans. Um but Secure 2.0 Act <laughs> changed uh what happens to dollars in 529 plans and in a very very positive way. So now there is a provision that will allow you to transfer up to $35,000 out of a 529 plan into a Roth IRA for the beneficiary of that 529 plan. Um, so this is cool, right? Because now this took dollars that you were putting your, uh, child's mask on first in that sense when you were contributing to that 529 plan. And let's just say they didn't use all that money for higher education. Well, now what do you do with it? There's an outlet for it and you can still help your, help your child, right? Get those dollars into, um their their kind of uh, financial future but do it in a way that's productive for them not just for education but for their their future needs as well um a couple of stipulations that account has to be maintained for 15 years right uh, so that's a that's a long runway but that that applies today right so if you establish this account 15 years ago you're sitting around with some dollars in it you can you can execute this strategy it also the the contribution from the 529 plan into the Roth IRA uh, counts against the annual limit um, for that contribution, so you can't make an additional uh, uh, regular contribution to that to that account uh, in addition to this.
0: That's huge, and I love that it's to a Roth IRA because you know, let's say you have um, a millennial who maybe didn't use all their 529 plan funds, move it to a Roth IRA, get that started if you haven't already, and add that to your retirement runway.
1: There you go. There you go. Now, uh, shifting back to baby boomers, um, primarily, but then also some, uh, younger generations who, uh, have beneficiary accounts, uh, the RMD excise tax, that is the tax that applies if you miss a required minimum distribution, um, has been, it was very draconian. It was a, it was a 50% tax on the missed RMD, which if you think about that, I mean, you could miss an RMD that's a $50,000 RMD and you got a $25,000 tax penalty there. Ouch. Um, that that has been uh, uh, uh scaled back. And I think that's just sort of the right thing to do They realize that it was a pretty stiff penalty and there wasn't a lot of compliance with it and there wasn't a lot of enforcement with it. So what I expect to see is that the the rates have come down. It's 25% now. It's not a 50% penalty. And there's scenarios where you can get it down to 10% if you get it corrected within a certain time frame, So I expect that improvement in, uh, in kind of penalty there to also be met with a, an improvement or, or more enforcement as well. So, um, the rates are going to be lower. That's great. You might have to own up to some stuff and make some, you know, some penalty tax payments, but you'll be able to get these corrected for, for much less of a sort of headache, uh, going forward.
0: Jason, it sounds like a lot of these changes for 2023 are really focused on keeping more money in people's pockets. And usually when we we think about taxes, that's not what comes to mind. So what do you think the reasons behind some of these changes are?
1: Well, if you think about some of the bigger changes within Secure 2.0 Act, um, there there is sort of this overarching theme of kind of the Rothification Of of stuff. Um, so the other change, right, was that you're now able to make Roth contributions um, to SEP and SIMPLE IRAs, and you're also able to direct that your employer contributes to a Roth balance for you. And all of this is to say, when you ask the question, why why would Uncle Sam just be so generous with? Um, you know, keeping dollars, you know, not flowing in. Well, wh- when you're talking about Roth dollars, right, those are currently tax dollars. It's the future tax that's being pushed off there. And so that's the bigger changes, the, the more substantial, and these are coming in future years, there's going to be even more Rothification. Um, but that's just it is, is that a lot of this is really sort of paid for by incentivizing more Roth contribution, which leads to current taxation today. And and that's okay. There's probably going to be this, this sort of gap in time, um, where you can take advantage of this in a really effective way because tax rates remain relatively low by historical standards, um, or otherwise. And there's probably going to be a period in the future where rates are going to go higher and, you know, the Rothification, you know, aspect of it may kind of catch up with you at that point. Uh, but for now, take advantage of, of what's been laid out there and, and plan with the, the info that you, that you have.
0: Yeah. So let the, uh, let let Uncle Sam have his win right now. And then you have your win later on as those dollars keep growing. Um, and with that, Jason, let's bring it into today's takeaways where I will kick us off um, with a reminder that it's not too early to plan your taxes for 2023. Get started now so you have more time throughout the rest of the year to really take advantage of strategizing and then implementing those strategies.
1: Advantages, right, to getting your plan in place sooner than later leads to less surprises. So Um, the sooner the better. Start looking at things like your withholdings. Start looking at things like your employer-sponsored plan deferrals so that you're not playing catch-up with only a month or two to go in the tax year.
0: And I will repeat us a little bit here by saying get started now to avoid those surprises during tax time. It's never too early to get started and always be planning your taxes.
1: Yes. A-B-P-Y-T.
0: I guess we're making this a thing, huh? A-B-P-Y-T. Yeah. Now, if you have a fun acronym to share with us or an idea for a future podcast episode, um, or if you want to tell us a little bit about what you thought of this one, reach out. You can reach us at podcast at fpfoco.com. We'll also include that in the show notes.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening today, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Jason Spessener and Regina Neenan are investment advisor representatives of Financial Planning Fort Collins, a registered investment advisor. The information in this podcast is provided for general educational and entertainment purposes only. It may not apply to you or your specific circumstances and should not be considered financial, investment, or tax advice.